What does it mean to pray your kingdom come, your will be done? Why should we even pray this? What are we even asking when we pray for this? Before we can unpack this, we need to understand some essential things about the kingdom of God. So let's jump into the word of God to see what God says about his kingdom and why we pray your kingdom come. This is week eight, technically, of our prayer series, How to Pray. And so we're in Matthew chapter six, and we're just slowly working through the prayer of Jesus that he gives to the disciples And we talked about uh, really why we should pray, how to pray, um, what prayer is. And now we're going to further dive into how to pray. And Matthew chapter 6 gives us a kind of outline that I'm exploring and and unpacking. And now we're on this portion of your kingdom come in Matthew chapter 6. And so I'd just like to put forth to you this morning that if you want to see more fruit in your life, I, I, I hesitate to use the word results because ultimately we're not after results, but, but honestly, we'd love to see our prayers answered. So I, I'm fine with saying if you'd like to see more results in your prayer time and, and really see more enjoyment and, and more, I guess, consistency in your prayer life, you and I need to learn how to prioritize God's kingdom in our prayers. And while we have an idea of what that looks like and we've been taught certain things about what the kingdom of God, you know, it looks like incorporated into my life and how to pray with the kingdom of God as my focus, there's a lot of, I hope that this morning will be further uh, driven into your hearts or new things that the Lord reveals to you. And so hopefully by the end of this, you'll know how to seek the kingdom of God in prayer. Um, and some of us just don't know how to pray generally. So hopefully by the end of this, you'll at least know, okay, I know how to pray now in this way where God's kingdom is a central focus. And we've already talked about what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God with intention and with purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. And we talked about why we should pray, the power of prayer. God has determined prayer to be the method of causing certain things in our world, in our lives, in our government, in our culture, in our society. Um, This doesn't mean that everything hangs on people praying and asking for certain things. But there are some things God has decided I will only do conditionally if people pray. The condition is people ask and pray. And then the result will be that God answers and does that thing. So my goal today is to help you live a higher life in terms of prayer by seeking first the kingdom of God in your prayer life. I want to raise your expectation of the coming kingdom. I want to raise your value and your desire for the kingdom of God. I can't effectively do that. All I can do is communicate the truth of God and and hopefully by doing so, the spirit of God at work within you will stimulate those desires and that affection and that expectation naturally. And so our, our prayer life is so important. We've already talked about this. I don't want to go and bring that back up, but we need to talk about the kingdom of heaven this morning. Now, as I was going through this, um, I was thinking, man, I think it would be such an incredible thing to eventually go do a series on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and do a deep study on that and how that works in our life and what is coming and what we should expect and what is the kingdom of heaven. But I want to do a brief summary this morning as we address prayer as we address prayer. So again, if we, I'll tell you this, there's a lot we're not seeing in our lives because we simply aren't praying for it or we don't know to pray for it. Now, I'm not going to chalk up all of your problems and all your life issues to just pray harder. But at the end of the day, there's a lot we could be seeing more of and we could see a lot more of God's hand and work in our life if we simply prayed more or if we knew how to pray biblically in the way God has called us to. And so part of that is learning to prioritize the kingdom of God in prayer. But 
the kingdom of heaven, very simply, um, if I were to, you know, explain to you why we should want the kingdom of heaven, why we should long for uh, the kingdom of heaven. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is way better than what this world has to offer. And you and I, no one has to really convince us of that because that's probably why you're here. I'm assuming you as a believer understand that yeah, this world isn't it. <laughs> I'm not settling for what this temporary life and mode of existence has to offer. I long for more. Let me just remind you, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The kingdom of heaven and what God has promised his people is way better. It's not even worth comparing, is what Paul will say in, um, I forget where. He says that, but he says it, I promise. <laughs> he talks about how the, it's right here. For I consider the sufferings of this present time Look at that. The word of God confirms what I was about to say. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then Romans 8 will continue to unpack that glory, but it's actually revealed in the people of God, not just to us. We're longing for what we'll see, but it's also what will be revealed in us. We're longing for what we'll experience and be a part of and what we'll actually get to participate in. If you go down to verse 21, and we could read this whole passage. The glory in this passage is incredible. But um, Paul goes on to talk about creation and how creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, which means that cr- creation currently is in bondage to corruption. And part of the glory of God being revealed to the children of God and through his people involves creation being set free from its bondage. This is what we're... This is what we're talking about when we say the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. God is coming to his people to bring new creation. Part of that is the current mode of existence is going to change. The current way creation exists and functions is going to change. So, you know, creation longs to be set free from its bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's a fantastic statement. I mean, when you really break that down and you think through that and you meditate on that and you bring that before the Lord and you say, hold on, the freedom of the glory of the children of God, creation longing for that, currently it's under corruption and part of our uh, you know, mandate as children of God and being a part of the kingdom is that there's an experience that is attached to the glory that we'll be ushering in when Jesus comes that we get to be a part of. There's a glory that's revealed in us and through us, but also to us. It's all around. And God includes his people in that to set creation free from its bondage. But Jesus is the ultimate focus of that. We just get to play a role in it. It's fantastic. So he goes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await. Um, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So part of this is glorification. Part of this is resurrection and getting new bodies and the glory that's revealed in us, First John talks about. Um, so let me just say what God has prepared for you and I, which you could generally sum up by saying the kingdom of heaven or new creation and, and new heavenly Jerusalem, all those different ways of saying the future God has prepared for his people is way better than this world and this life as it is. Now, Paul is not minimizing our sufferings. Paul is not demonizing this life and saying, it's all bad, stay away. 
in the flesh and, and everything that, that potentially the world could offer you, oh, it's all evil. I'd say the fleshly nature and the world at large as a system and Satan and his demons, all of that for sure evil. But that doesn't mean that everything we can experience in this life is inherently evil and go, we're just waiting for God's kingdom because everything here sucks. No, there's a lot of glory for God to receive from his people in this life. There's a lot to be enjoyed. There's a lot to glorify God over. There's a lot for us to to use to advance the kingdom of God and, and to use as tools to bring the gospel in. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. I'm just trying to remind you. I'm sure you guys know this, but part of praying for the kingdom of God and prioritizing his kingdom in my life, not just my prayers, but my life, involves remembering that there is something so much better that's coming and I cannot settle into the, the present and say, this is all there is. I can be content while expecting the more God has. Philippians 1.23 says, I am hard pressed between the two. You go, what two things? Well, Paul goes, my desire is to depart, to be with Christ. That is far better. There's no comparing that. Like he said, the glory that's to be revealed isn't even worth comparing to the suffering that's going on now. But he goes, you know, to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary for you guys. That's the only reason, really, Paul desires to hang around a little more is because people benefit. Faith is stimulated. Churches are stronger because he gets to be around and help that. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, As it is what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now you can contextually say, well, God's, you know, Paul's talking about X, Y, and Z, and but there's, in a general category, there are things that God has prepared for us, and there's a lot of that that we have yet to understand or even become aware of. While there are some things we do understand and know, well, God has prepared that for us, and we're, we're longing for this, the full scope of that, you have no idea. I have no idea. We have glimpses. We have pieces to the puzzle. But what God has actually prepared for those who love him, the heart of man and the imagination of humanity can't touch. Can't touch it. What's coming? 1 Corinthians 2.9 gives us one of these glimpses. Um, is this not the same verse? I want to say it's 15.9. Now I'm wrong. Please, please be 15. Please be 15. It's not 15. Well, let me find it real quick. I want to say it's Revelation. I don't want to. It is Revelation. It's got to be Revelation. You're like, what is he talking about? C of ADD. Yes. Revelation 21. It's one of these glimpses we have into what God has for his people. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Can I get an amen, hallelujah for that? Death shall be no more. I'm constantly trying to remind my kids, one day when Jesus comes back, no more ouchies, no more crying, no more dying. They still don't understand death fully. No more sadness, no more people getting hurt, no more people being mean. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That which, has, that which is restricted to this current life and world, and there's nothing beyond, that stuff is going to pass away. 
God is going to bring new creation. What is going to last is that which is produced by the Spirit of God in the people of God. Anything relating to God's kingdom, anything done for God's glory is going to remain. So, continuing to answer the question as we get to prayer, as we get to Matthew 6, because we go to Matthew 6 and to some of us, this, this concept is just foreign. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We've been taught to pray that. We've, it, we've memorized that prayer. Sometimes it comes out of our mouth without us even thinking. And in our prayers, without us even really comprehending what we're saying or thinking about what we're trying to convey, it's just your kingdom come. And we'll touch the your will be done next week. Actually, I'm out of town next week, but the following week. Your kingdom come, your will be. What does it mean to, to pray this? We have ideas, we have glimpses, but I'm, I'm trying to give you as much of the biblical data in this session as I can without overloading you so that you can walk away going, when I ask for the kingdom of God, to, when I say your kingdom come, I know what that means. I know what my job and responsibility is within that prayer. So why is the kingdom of heaven you know, better than this world and this life? Again, I can take you to 2 Corinthians 4. I'm just trying to increase your desires and your value for the kingdom of God, your expectation of what's coming. I'm trying to raise those as much as I'm able to with the word of God. I, I can't, right? But I'm still doing what I can and God will do what I can't. Second Corinthians 4 says, so we don't lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, this body, as you've probably noticed, is not going from uh, uh, worse to better. In some ways, you're like, I'm getting stronger uh, in some sense, but all that is ultimately heading downwards. You can temporarily feel stronger and feel healthier, but we are degenerating. This body is wasting away in a, in a more ultimate sense. We are aging. We are um, heading towards the grave. And Paul admits that, but there's something greater that we need to rec- recognize. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. Which of your two selves, if I can say that, I think the truest version of you is the spiritual you, but which of these two do you prioritize on a daily basis? The truest version of you, that which is in Christ, the spiritual you, or the fading away body that you sometimes identify with when it's actually not the truest version of you. That's just a shell. It's just a a vessel you currently inhabit and use some kind of suit, you might say, to honor God and do what I can to glorify him and advance the kingdom, but this body is wasting away. I'm going to be resurrected to a new glorified body. And Paul is saying, look, what is temporary and physical and attached to this world as it is currently, it's all fading, including your body. For this light momentary affliction is actually preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That, by the way, is beyond comprehension. Worldly things are temporary. The things you and I are tempted to run after and distracted by money, influence, fame. While these things are not inherently evil, they can become something that distracts me from what is ultimate good and that is God. So when you think about these things and what the world has to offer, the, the world is trying, the culture at large is really trying to get you to walk away 
and just leave God. Just forget about him. Forget about his word. Come be distracted with us. Drink your sorrows away. Drown in drugs. You know, scroll mindlessly on TikTok until you realize it's four in the morning and now you you don't have enough energy to actually go to work and that day is a wash. Come with us. We'll distract you. We'll pacify you. Everything regarding this world and what you and I are drawn to about this world, it is fading. It is temporary. It is not worth my attention the way God is. It is not worth my affection. It is not worth my pursuit the way God is. When you learn to see life through this lens of what is valuable eternally and what is just temporary, you can really begin to see how to live an effective godly life that advances his kingdom that actually amounts to something eternally. I think we all want to have a lasting impact. At least you should. You should want to have an impact. You should want to leave a legacy. You should have some desire, not for your name to be remembered, not even for your face to be remembered, but for what you did to matter when you stand before God. So that when you leave, the people you've impacted, the generations down the line that you've actually left a legacy for, in the people you've discipled, in the books you've written, in the way you conducted yourself in front of your neighbors and at work, you want to know that I honored the name of God as best as I can with the life I had so that when I'm gone, there is seed that's been planted in this life through me living. And it's called the seed of the gospel. And it's called the seed of God's truth. And the spirit of God went to work and re- regenerated other people through my life. And I got to be a part of preaching the gospel and, and discipling people and, and helping marriages. We want to leave a legacy that matters. This world wants to pacify you. Society and culture wants to just distract you and give you this fake binky that doesn't even do anything. And you're sucking out all the, all the while God's calling you to do something amazing. And you're going, mm, but Instagram, but TikTok but I love my media about my video games. And there's nothing wrong inherently about these things until they actually pull you away from what is ultimate. Until they begin getting in the way of what God has called you to do that, he know, that you know he's called you to. But you're, you're content with just sitting in the worldly comfort that society and this world has to give you. And I can name example after example. You and I know it's not just media. It goes, it goes beyond that. It, it goes into mindless activities that amount to nothing, that do nothing, that I can't even utilize in a way that y- you sit there and you go, I know this is a waste of time and it's doing nothing for anyone or me or my spiritual vitality, but it's so nice and it's familiar and it's comfortable. And sometimes it's not even sin. It's just these neutral things that we take and when we use them and abuse them and they start overtaking us, they can slowly become something sinful. Worldly things, they're fleeting. And I'm trying to get you to remember that. What you see, transient. What God wants to do through you and what you're capable of by the Spirit of God has eternal value. So when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, that's forever. This world kingdom, the the way that everything is structured and running currently, it is not going to run like this forever. The kingdom of heaven is infinitely more than anything in this world because of the spiritual nature of it. So what God does in us, through us, around us, by the Spirit, through His Word, 
It is spiritual in, in nature. It is eternal. What the world wants to suck you into will just rob you of real joy, real, real contentment, real peace, real hope. They'll suck you dry all the while you think, I'm being pacified. I'm content. Hey, life is, I mean, this is all convenient for me. Worldly convenience and worldly comfort at the expense of God's will is terrible. Terrible. And some of you are in that. I'm trying to call you out. Not just in terms of praying differently, but living differently. Part of this is, I can tell you all day how to pray. We could sit here, we could do seminars, we could do lectures, we could have conferences. We could read book after book on how to pray. But if you're not going to live a life that aligns with your prayer life, it's all a wash at the end of the day because you and I are called to not just pray for things, but to actually live in the direction of those things we're believing for. This is where we'll get to this eventually in coming weeks. I'm just trying to whet your appetite for it. But praying is not just, God, here I am saying the right things, having the right heart, having the right motives, and now I'm done. It's, intent, it's living a life that's consistent with what you're praying. Not just saying it with lip service but doing it with your life. What good is it to pray for something and then God has given you a responsibility within that to actually be a part of that prayer coming true or or part of that thing happening and you're going, "Ah, it's all God. I'll just sit back and sit on the couch and pacify myself with TikTok until I see God answer and God's going, I gave you a responsibility, some degree of of a role to play in this and there are some things that we we can't do anything about. We're cornered and we're going, God, you're the only one. Well, actually, your part in that scenario is to pray. So you did have a a role to play. Other times, God is going, look, I have given you steps to take. I've given you responsibility. And if you're not willing to actually pursue what you're praying for and actually live in the direction of the things you're believing for, you're not going to see it come to pass because not just prayer makes things happen. And this is where people find an imbalance in their life. There are the prayer warriors that uh, they love prayer. Prayer is their jam. But the life they live is so inconsistent with their prayer life, you wonder, what in the world is happening? They almost think praying is an excuse to not live out the word of God because I'm spending so much time in my prayer closet. I think there's a healthy degree of I should have a prayer life where that prayer is my jam. And it's a life I live. I, my, I have a prayer life that is vibrant. But I'm also out there doing what God has called me to. And not just chalking it all up to, well, if he wants to. He's called you to do stuff. And you can only do so much. That's where prayer intersects and picks up what you can't do. So that through what you have done, God does the miraculous. It's called partnership for a reason. I don't, I'm going on a tangent. I did ask God to, if there's anything he wanted to say, I, I got to hammer this home. You and I are participants. We're co-laborers, not just with other believers. You got to understand this. It's actually with Christ. That doesn't mean everything he wants to do depends on my effort. It means God does what I can't. And often that is effectualized. That happens through me doing what I can not that God is restricted going, I would love to do that. I just, I can't until you can. God has sovereignly ordained. I will do the impossible. I will answer the prayers you've been bringing to me for years. When you step out and do what I've told you to, 
Until you do that, you can say it all you want, but I've given, I put the ball in your court. So it's no longer on God to come through miraculously. It's on you to step forward. And then God goes, I will answer with the miraculous when you do the mundane. Because the ordinary is what produces the extraordinary. When I've seen, when I read scripture, when I see the people God calls, when I see Gideon, when I see people that are like cowards and they're terrified and they're like, why would you ever use me? Moses, I, I, I stutter. Why would God use people like that? Because he gets all the glory when the impossible is done through their mundane, ordinary efforts. But guess what? They're still partners. And some of you have chalked up all of what God wants to do in your life. You've just put it all on God. He said, I'll pray, but I'm not willing to actually do anything about what I'm believing for. And you know there are steps God has called you to take. And you refuse to do what is really responsible and obedient to the Father because you think you can get away with that lack of faithfulness because you have such a vibrant prayer life. And I'm saying there's a balance. It's not either or, it's both and. It's pray like you can't do anything without him. And then it's go and do what you can with the spirit and the power and the gifts and the energy and the life he's given you to use. So what's so good about the kingdom of heaven? I can go down the line. I can go down the line and say, well, there's um, perfect comfort. I'd say there's perfect joy. The kingdom of heaven, when God comes and establishes his kingdom perfectly, like Daniel saw in his vision, the kingdom of heaven is beyond human comprehension. The imagination of man cannot touch. You can get glimpses. You can have partial understanding, like 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says. You can't fully understand the kingdom of God and what it entails and what's coming. Jesus is actually, you get to be in the presence of God fully and perfectly in a way that you probably can't even, you don't have a category for quite yet. I don't have a category for it. You know, the glory of God is fully revealed there for us to enjoy and stand in awe. Again, there's perfect joy and peace. It's paradise. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise to the thief on the cross. God's kingdom will not end. I think this is the best part about God's kingdom. You can go to zero pain, zero death, zero sin, zero darkness, zero Satan, zero enemies, zero out, feeling all all the things that you hate about this world, it's not there. But I think the best part to me, uh, for me, is that God's kingdom won't end. Every empire, every human kingdom, every human government eventually is going to be replaced by another. And the last one will be replaced by God's kingdom. Like in Daniel's vision. God's kingdom won't end. It won't be destroyed. It won't be corrupted. For me, that is the best part, is that I'm a citizen of a kingdom, of a government. Uh, I, I, I exist under the reign of a king who will never, ever be thwarted, overthrown, corrupted, destroyed, ruined. It will never come to an end. And I say all this up front because by the time we get to Matthew 6 and he goes, your kingdom come, all of these ideas are what form that kind of a request is this expectation for the more this longing for the more this me living in the direction of God's kingdom and actually doing what he's called me to instead of being complacent and lazy and excusing disobedience with I have a vibrant prayer life 
you can be a prayer warrior and also do whatever it is that he's called you to that's within your capability. Whether that's in the context of raising the children God's entrusted to you, whether that's in the context of you know being faithful at your job and using the finance you have and stewarding that well to advance the kingdom and, and being a part of you know solving poverty and solving world hunger, whatever God has called you to, there has to be a prayer life attached to it. And that involves not just praying, your kingdom come, but living in the direction. I, I want to live a life where someone looks at me and goes, he's living like the kingdom of his God is really coming. I want my life to be convincing. Even if they don't believe it, they're convinced that I truly believe there's a kingdom that's coming. There's a king that's coming. There's a government that's going to overtake everything we currently see. I want people to look at me and go, he really believes. He lives like the, there's a kingdom that's going to take over everything we see and know, and there won't be darkness. And I'm not convinced, but he sure is. And maybe through that, God would work powerfully. But what good is it when the world looks on and sees a bunch of believers that can quote the scriptures, but there's no power to their life? I've memorized, you've memorized, but do you understand? Do you have spiritual insight into what it is that you think you've memorized and you think is a credit to you? Is there power behind your life? Do you live like the kingdom of heaven is not just here now, partially, which we'll get to, but it's fully, completely, perfectly coming. Isaiah 66, 1. When you ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? You keep talking about that. Let's just break heaven down for, for a minute, really quickly. Heaven, the Lord says, is his throne, the place from which God rules. The place, if you can even spatially categorize it, it is where God rules from. It is where God dwells. It is where God reigns. It is where God currently is. And the earth is his footstool. I know you, you all have different ways of explaining spatially, theoretically, and spiritually the dimensions. Heaven just is the place where God dwells and rules from. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. As if he props his feet up on the earth. Just how big and strong and capable and massive and sovereign he is. Then he goes, what is the house that you build for me? What is the place of my rest? He'll go on to talk about that. But if we could just imagine heaven to be very simply, we don't need to make it any more complex than I know we're fascinated with the mysterious and the secretive. Just heaven is the place where God lives and rules from currently. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus will say something like this. And all the ears perk up. What's he mean? What's he talking about? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. He says it again. But my kingdom is not from the world. Meaning the way that Jesus speaks of the kingdom, he'll speak in parables. He'll give illustrations. He'll explain qualities of the kingdom through illustrations and parables and use this language where it's like, how is the kingdom like that? He's, at, he's highlighting a dimension of God's kingdom. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he seems to be talking about something that transcends this current world, this current physical reality. 
something that is beyond this life. So very simply, as we'll look at in scripture real quick, the kingdom of heaven is where the best way I can, I, I have been able to explain it and simplify it to people is that the kingdom of heaven is where heaven and earth intersect through the presence of God by his spirit or by his son or by his own divine intervention in the world. When it comes to us being a part of the kingdom of God coming and advancing the kingdom and and the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of heaven is where the, the ways and the character of God invade our reality through his word, through his spirit, through his people. In other words, if we're to think about what is the kingdom of heaven, it is where God reigns and rules through his people and his citizens. It is where someone or a group of people or a a heart or a group of hearts have submitted to the lordship of Jesus. And they've believed the gospel. They are citizens of a higher kingdom. Their home is where God is. So if we're going to talk about how Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I would love to talk about this later in 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 a series. But the kingdom of heaven, I'm just going to go to this verse for you. Look at John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, the woman at the well, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because she's going, the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans say we're supposed to worship on this mountain because she's a Samaritan. And Jesus answers, it's not about a place, physical location, it's, you worship what you don't know. Ah, oh, offensive. We worship what we do know. Double offensive. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You might say Jesus is talking about those who are true citizens of God's kingdom, those who are legitimate children of God. How do you know that they're legitimate children of God and citizens of God's kingdom? By the way that they seek after and worship God. It's not necessarily purely physical in some, you know, I don't don't want to get into that. It's in spirit and truth. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a spiritual reality. It's rooted in the truth. It's built on Christ. The ability to seek after, pursue, and come near to God is based on truth. Jesus, who is the word of God. So when we talk about, because Jesus goes, look, the hour is now here. There's a statement like the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's within reach. It's at, you know, it's, it's at hand. All these different ways of referring to how the kingdom of God is currently interacting with the, the world as we know it. How the spiritual is interacting and invading the physical. How Jesus, the eternal word from the Father, the living word has come down into our world and interacts. He is the embodiment of the kingdom. You don't have a kingdom without a king. You don't have citizens without a kingdom, and that requires a king. Jesus is the king. He's the embodiment of the kingdom, not just in personhood where it's like God is in our midst, but the very character and the essence and nature of God, the ways of God perfectly are expressed and embodied in Jesus. So Jesus is, when you think about the kingdom, it is less about 
It involves government. It involves structure. It involves rule. It involves responsibility. It involves citizens. It involves a domain. But it's mainly about the king. Who is this king of glory? Who is, who is this creator of the heavens that is mindful of me? Who is this one who dwells in heaven and does whatever he pleases in the heavens above and on the earth below, yet he considers me? Who is this king who sits on the, th- on the throne, dwelling in unapproachable light, with the angels of seraphim worshiping and screaming, holy, holy, holy? Who is this king? He really is the substance of any kingdom. So when you think about the kingdom of heaven, you can think about all those other sub things, those other side things. It is more about him as the king. So where God rules as the king, spiritually through his people, where he has, um, where people have submitted to his kingship and are a part of his kingdom, that is where the kingdom of heaven is. In the Old Testament, it used to be where the, 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 the temple or the tabernacle was. It wasn't necessarily where the Israelite nation was because there were a lot of rebellious, wicked Israelites who chose to reject the God of their fathers. It is more about God. There were locations, you might say, hot spots throughout human history in the Old Testament where God would clearly invade um, this dimension, this reality with his divine presence, sometimes by sending an angel, sometimes by his own divine you know, appearance, sometimes by sending a prophet or the ark, the, you know, the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle and the temple or where Jacob at Bethel lays down and has that profound experience with God. Those are those are glimpses into what the kingdom of God in substance is. Okay, I'm trying to get you to think differently than what we've thought about the kingdom from a Western Americanized perspective. And, and some of you aren't in America, so you're like, I don't see any of this. But for us, there has been such a, not I won't say perversion, but just this cultural packaging of the kingdom, Right? Where we open it and go, ah, yes, that is how I, as a Westerner, understand the kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven, I think, far transcends what any culture can capture. I think there's a lot to be said about the kingdom of God, Jesus will say, is here now. Where God reigns through his people. God's kingdom is where he reigns in the hearts of his people. Where his ways are revealed, where his character is embodied, where people are living out his truth. That's where the kingdom of God is. That's where the kingdom of heaven is invading this current world and the kingdom and the domain of darkness currently is being invaded by the light through the truth and the people of God by the spirit. So when we say the kingdom of heaven is not yet, but it's already, it's the already and the not yet. What we're saying is it has not been perfectly, completely realized here on the earth, but the kingdom of heaven is partially experienced now. Not in its entirety. In, in so many ways, we can explain the already and the not yet. The this is true now, right? But the full scope of that being realized and accomplished and manifested has not yet come to pass. This is why Jesus will say in Luke 17, when he has the religious leaders come up and they go, when's the kingdom of God coming? And he goes, well kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will people say, look, here it is, there. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
How can the Pharisees be missing something that's right in front of them? Because they don't recognize who's right in front of them. That's why. And if you don't recognize him, you'll, you won't perceive his kingdom. If you don't recognize God himself right in front of you, that's how spiritually blind and hard-hearted and rebellious and stiff-necked you are. There's no way you'll recognize his kingdom. He is the substance of his kingdom. He is the focus of his kingdom. Right? So the kingdom of heaven is a partial reality that has not yet been fully realized or manifested on this earth. Because there will be a new heaven. There will be new earth that will replace the current form of both. The kingdom of heaven is coming fully when Jesus comes back. Let me take you to Daniel. Daniel has these amazing visions. Daniel chapter 2. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, he's just talked about human kingdom after human kingdom after human kingdom, taking down one, replacing the other. And he goes, you know, in those days of those kings, the human kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And it will never be destroyed. Unlike every other kingdom that came before it, it will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It won't be disinherited and then just kind of franchised off. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms. All these that I've talked about, Daniel's given the interpretation of the vision. They're all going to be shattered and destroyed by this one ultimate indestructible kingdom God brings. It will bring every other kingdom to an end. But it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be after this. God has always intended to allow humans to have temporary authority in this world as the government is set up and the structure is ever-changing God has given humanity a degree. He tells, Jesus tells this to Pilate. You would have no authority unless it was given to you. So whatever authority, whatever governments, whatever empires, whatever kingdoms come and go, God has sovereignly ordained. These are all stepping stones to the ultimate kingdom of God, which will invade and destroy anything that stands in opposition to it. In Daniel 4 verse 3, Daniel says, how great are his signs, referring to the Most High God. How mighty are his wonders. You know, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You cannot have kingdom without dominion, rule, governance, and you would assume a structure and a government with sub-rulers. All of this is true of God's kingdom. But it is everlasting You and I have such a difficult time conceiving of something that doesn't ever fade, conceiving of something that lasts forever and is indestructible, because all we know in this life and in our our world, all we know of are things that don't last. All we see are things that fade, that break, that get stolen, that change, that become obsolete. It's all we know. I look, another empire coming and going. Oh, look, another king that's going to go down in history as a really sad ruler. Oh, look, another pathetic nation that's going to be overtaken by a different one. That's all we know. 
But the citizens of God's kingdom, his rule and authority, his throne, it's not set up as a temporary little tea shop that someone else is going to come in and take over. God's kingdom, that's why Jesus talks about it being a mustard seed. It slowly and even unnoticeably at times begins taking over. It is the nature of God is to take back what is rightfully his, but in the, the most subtle ways where the citizens of this world just don't even perceive it. They're missing it. And I don't know about you. I don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of it. I want to recognize it. Revelation chapter 21. This is referring to the new heavens and the new earth. John the Apostle, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You know, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. This is John the visionary getting his vision from Jesus. And I saw the holy city, which again is more about the citizens of this kingdom. I saw new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. For God, from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Remember, this is mainly what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's not about all the sub things that we want to really focus on. The main thing is this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That has always been God's intent and his purpose is to recover the lost relationship that humanity once had with him, to restore people back into the Garden of Eden presence of God that they were lost from, that they were cut off from. God has always been restoring and reconciling and redeeming and bringing us back to where we fell from. And now it's happened. This is what John sees in the future. That in the future, the dwelling place of God is finally, perfectly with his people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So to the main question at hand. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? It's going to involve God's will being done just as it is in heaven, but instead it's here on earth. And we'll talk about that in two weeks because next week I'm gone in California. But for now, what it means to pray your kingdom come, it involves everything. As much as I was able to communicate in these last 45 minutes, I know there's no way I could fully capture the full scope of God's kingdom in any amount of seminars or sessions. But from, from this summary I've given, think about all of that, but in the form of a prayer. So when, what daily, when I seek God in prayer, when I just sit in his presence and I enjoy his relationship with him, part of that involves me praying your kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, it means when I pray, I see myself as a part of God's kingdom. Meaning, I see my life and this world in view of God's eternal, everlasting kingdom that's coming. I don't see God as a part of my kingdom. I don't see how his kingdom fits into my narrative and my agenda and my storyline, and I'm the main character. I see myself, not as the center of the universe, but as just another image bearer of God centrally revolving around God and his kingdom with Jesus as the focus. In other words, I don't just pray in such a way where I see my prayer request and everything in light of his kingdom, but I live life 
and I perceive what's going on and I evaluate what's around me in light of this kingdom that's coming. In other words, the backdrop of everything I see and I, everything I do, everything I, I choose to go after, every, my interactions, my words, the backdrop of all of that, my life and this world, is the kingdom of God is coming. And that has to be the backdrop because if I lose sight of that, I start living like this world is my home when we're all heading to the grave. Death is inevitable. Death is unpredictable. We have no idea when our last breath will be. But we are all going to die. Fantastic news. But the kingdom of God is coming and those who trust in the Son will be resurrected to new life to be a part of this new heaven and new earth, what is called the new creation. And I want to live in such a way where I don't see God as fitting into my life. I'm a part of His narrative. I'm a, a citizen in His kingdom. I submit to the rule of the king and say, you tell me what's best for me and I'll follow king because you are my king. Colossians chapter 3 gives us, at least in terms of prayer, a good way to understand what it means to pray your kingdom come. Obviously, there's expectation within that. There's a desire towards that. There's a longing and a craving and a value for that. There's a surrendering to the king and his kingdom. There's, I'm living a life that's aligned with the king and his ways and his values and his, the, the culture of his kingdom. I want to align my life with the heart of the king. Meaning I want to begin to love what God loves and be against what he's against. I want to cry for what the Lord is sorrowful over and I want to passionately pursue the things that God is after and the things he's doing in the world. It means over time, your heart begins to align with his. So watch. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, as an if, if you have believed in Jesus and the gospel, and you've trusted in him to save you from the coming judgment and the sin that you've been stained by the sickness and disease of your sin, if you've asked Jesus to save you and the faith, you know, at the core of that is intact, if you're a believer and you've been raised with Christ spiritually, then you know what? It makes sense to seek the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. And if your life is hidden with Christ in God, if you are where Jesus is spiritually seated with him in heavenly places, if you have his life and his connection to the Father now, and you've been made spiritually alive, it would make reasonable sense for you to seek the things that are consistent with him, to go after the things that are consistent with your true home and the place of your true residency. I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom, and I'm seated where Christ is. So since I am now raised up to be someone who is not a part of this world system anymore, I've been called out of darkness into light, I'm going to live a life that's above the darkness. What does that mean? I'm going to seek the things that are where Christ is because he's seated above it all. Set your minds on the things that are, not, that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Meaning, where Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and anything that is consistent with that, those are the things that I should be thinking about. 
that my mind should give attention to. I should be focused on those things throughout the day as much as I'm able to. Meaning, my life, my prayers, my devotions and affections and pursuits should be in the direction of Jesus and his kingdom. Philippians 2.21, it says, you know, people, referring to those who are not of Christ, he says, they all seek their own interests. They don't seek those of Jesus. When you are self-centered, and you have zero concern for God, zero concern for people, zero love for God or, or people at all, and you're just always concerned with your personal self-interest and how you benefit and what values you and how you can profit and only your personal preferences and, and interests, and that's all you're concerned about, you're not living like a citizen of God's kingdom. Because when Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God in the earth, through his people, he actually sub- he served them. Isn't that exactly how Jesus metaphorically put the seed in the ground for it to bloom into the kingdom of God? Is that he put himself in the ground? He allowed himself to take our place. He chose to lay down his life so that we could have his. He chose to take all of human evil upon himself on the cross so that sin and evil was condemned and punished in our place, so that he died our death, paid our debt, by living the perfect life none of us ever could, by playing by his own rules and attaining his own perfect standard as one of us, and then laying his life down, being obedient to the cross to the point of dying and going into the grave. Isn't that exactly how Jesus establishes his kingdom? is by not seeking his own self-interest, but by seeking the interests of others and by living out the will of the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That's exactly how the kingdom of God was essentially produced. It's through Jesus laying down his life and being the seed that would go into the ground so that other people could come and be a part of this heavenly kingdom, so other people could come and be in the family of God. So he served. He washed the feet of his disciples. He didn't seek his own interests. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom, to desire for God's kingdom and to live a life and to pray prayers that are consistent with that. As that you're not just concerned with your own self-interest, doesn't mean you don't have a preference. Doesn't mean you don't have interest and an agenda. It means your main and ultimate concern is God's. I just want what He wants. And that's hard. It's a big ask. But that's what it means to live as citizens of a higher kingdom. So we need to see our lives as part of God's kingdom. I think also what it means to pray your kingdom come It means this. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's a prayer that John utters at the end in response to Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. What is it that John replies? What does his heart echo? Come, Lord Jesus. 
That's part of what it means to say your kingdom come. There's a longing in my heart that makes its, its way out of my mouth in the form of words that is come, Lord Jesus, a desire to see him come, a longing to see his kingdom set up. And every day, as much as I'm able to, I remind myself of the fact that he's coming and I want to long for that more and more. That concept of longing for, seeking after, is found in Hebrews 13, 14. It says, here we have no lasting city. Everything's fading, everything's temporary, everything's subject to change. But we seek the city that is to come. The new heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, which will invade and take over everything that we know and kick out and drive out everything that doesn't belong. In other words, on a grander scale, what's going to happen is what Jesus did when he came in the world. Jesus goes into city after city, cleansing people of sickness, driving out demons, driving out darkness with the truth, driving out you know, disease and even death by making people come back to life. This is Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom in a greater way when Jesus comes back not to save and lay down his life and, and, and humbly go to a cross, but to actually bring vengeance on his enemies, to clear the threshing floor, to remove the wicked from among the righteous, to remove darkness from among the light. When he does that, it's going to be on a grander scale. The city that is to come, the city of light, the city of everything, really it's God. Everything that is consistent with God, joy and peace and hope and, and generosity and gratitude and patience and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit, all the ways God has revealed himself, a city that embodies all of those characteristics, the kingdom of God, because God rules in the midst of those people. That's what we're longing for. What's interesting is, well, if you go up to verse 10, where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you go, this is the same Sermon on the Mount. If you go down just 20 something verses, he ends this whole spiel by saying, look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Everything that God knows you need that you grow anxious about and you start to freak out and go after and, and at the expense of serving God, God knows you need, if you just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means in order to seek God's kingdom, you have to be a citizen of God's kingdom. In order to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to have the righteousness of God, the holiness of, of Jesus, and he gives that to you. To the point where Paul says, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're new creation. We have a new life. We're no longer our old selves. We're holy and blameless and righteous and forgiven. That is who we are. So you can't seek the kingdom until you belong to the kingdom. Now you can seek as an outsider in terms of wanting to get in by believing in the Son and going, I believe. Well, now you're grafted in as a citizen, as a child of God, as someone who has a right to the table. Now you can actually be a part of God bringing his kingdom in the earth and be an agent of that instead of an agent of darkness like we used to be. So here's what I want to, to end with. 
When we pray, God, your kingdom come, there's a pursuit of that with our life. There's a longing for that with our heart. There's a, there's a genuine desire in me, not just a mindless prayer that's, that's, that means nothing and it's empty. Your kingdom come, because my mom told me to say that before I go to bed. But I genuinely, my heart echoes with the truth of your word. I long for you to come. What that means is we pray for God's kingdom before we pray for ourselves. And I know that this is what Jesus does in Matthew 6. I don't think there's some legalistic, strict, rigid rule where it's like, if you don't pray for God's kingdom first, none of your prayers matter after. But I I find it interesting that Jesus prays, he says to pray for God's kingdom before we even get to ourselves and our needs and our stresses and our anxieties and our fears and worries. It's your kingdom come. Why? Why? Because I want to see everything else that comes after in light of his kingdom. All the concerns, all the fears, all the requests, all the complaints. I want to see all of that in light of God and his kingdom. Which is partially realized now among us, but has not been fully realized the way we're longing for. So when you pray... Learn to pray in a way where the kingdom of God is a priority in what you're saying. Where as you're voicing your concerns and your requests, you're thinking about how this fits into God's kingdom. You're thinking about how it connects to God and his reign in the earth and how you're a citizen of his kingdom. And it will start to change the way you view those requests and concerns. It will start to change the way you might even voice those things. Our prayers and our requests And every prayer we bring before the Lord, it is most helpful. I'm not going to say you have to. I'm saying it is most helpful and beneficial to us to pray God-centered prayers that are about his kingdom more than they are about this life and my kingdom and my empire and my life. I want it to be mostly about his kingdom because I find the fullest life in as a citizen of his kingdom. So again, Praying for God's kingdom involves what? Expectation, desire, uh, surrender, aligning my life with, the, with the, the, the character and the ways of God and the truth of his word. So when I pray, your kingdom come, I'm trying to give you as much language and as much practical legs to this thing as I can. When we, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're, we're simply asking God, God, would you advance your kingdom through my life? God, would you make me a better servant for your kingdom and your purposes in the earth? God, would you reign over more people and their lives by using me as a vessel through which you get their attention and draw them into your kingdom? God, would you reign more over my life to where more of my heart is consumed by your truth and your spirit? So your kingdom come means God reign in my life and reign in the lives of more people through me. So there are a bunch of example prayers, which, by the way, you can find the sermon notes and the the small group questions in one document in the description below. So you'll see these example prayers. It's, you know, it's, um, let me just give you some example prayers that I pray. Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, give me the joy, the peace, the comfort of heaven that you give by your spirit. Lord, use me to advance your kingdom. Make me a light to people in darkness. Lord, help me not prioritize X, Y, and Z over your kingdom. 
Lord, help me be a good example to people who are in darkness. Lord, help me to stay aware of your presence as I function as a citizen in your kingdom. Lord, help me stay humble and not point people to myself, but point people to your glory. Lord, help me to serve and save the lost as you did for me. You know, all these different ways of saying, God, your kingdom is a concern to me. Your glory and your reign and the people who don't know you yet, that's a concern to me. And the people who are your citizens that need to be raised up in more of the truth, that's a concern to me. And then you get to the end of the prayer. I believe it's in the King James, depending on what manuscripts you're looking at. But it'll say, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's all we're saying. You're the sovereign king. You have all power and dominion and rule. You're the righteous judge who makes perfect judgments. You're the one who has uh, eternal capability, infinite capability to do what you need to do in the earth. And you're not done. All these ways of saying, God, you're the focus of my prayers in your kingdom. You're the focus of my prayers and your kingdom is. That's what I encourage you guys to pray more. Pray that more. Or pray a variation of that. Just learn to go, you know what? I have a lot of things I got to get off my chest and ask God for and a lot of things I want to get some clarity on. But before I do, may I remember that you don't serve my empire as if I'm the center of the universe. I'm a servant of you. I'm a servant of you, King. This is Above Reproach Ministry. If you guys didn't know, you can check out everything, all the free resources we have at AboveReproachMinistry.com. Just go to free stuff right here. Click it, and you'll see all our free devotionals. You can check out our online church through the Discord app, all our YouTube teachings and sermons, our podcast, our second podcast, Above Reproach Church Podcast, all the Bible study courses online that we have that are completely free. We have a free 40-day Bible study course, a 27-day, an 11-day keyword courses, theme courses. Um, If you really want to learn how to study the Bible, they're free online and self-paced. You can check out our free devotional studies that revolve around keywords in Ephesians. Check out our free Bible study workshops, all of my sermon notes that I have available um, that I've done, and then some Bible study worksheets. All that is completely free because of generous supporters like you guys who make this possible. And if you're going, what's possible? Well, we're My mission, the ministry mission here, is to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. That's our our mission, that's our ministry, that's our goal and ambition. And so you can um, check out all that free stuff. And if you're a new believer, or if you just just came back to God, good to see you, Carlos. I was just thinking about you the other day, actually. I was like, it's been like a year since I've talked to you. Good to see you. It's crazy how the Lord brings people to mind and then puts them right in front of you. If you're a new believer, click right here, new believer. It'll take you to all the, the free resources we believe are, are necessary for getting you off the ground and getting you um, really to the place you need to be theologically, relationally with God in a, in a church that is good and, and faithful to God's word. And then um, you can listen to our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to get a copy of my book, Fruitful, um, you can get your copy on Amazon or right here on my website. You can sample it. Fruitful is the essential keys to living the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven, the most satisfying, fruitful life possible that God leads us into. And in order to do that, you got to know your identity, the purpose of your life, and the process that God brings you through. 
And then um, the last thing is, if you want to get some merch or donate to the ministry to help all the free resources that reach probably thousands of people around the world um, and are completely free to everyone around the globe and to help us continue helping people to teach them um, how to read the Bible, you can just go right here, abovereproachministry.com slash donate. I have a wife and two kids, live in South Carolina. This is my full-time career, you might say, job, ministry, whatever you want to call it. But my my mission is just to help people understand how to read the scriptures and provide as much resource as I can. And so you can always send a check to P.O. Box 509 Inman, South Carolina, or donate straight from debit or credit card right here, or donate through uh, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, be a monthly supporter on Patreon. There's unique exclusive benefits when you uh, sign up as a patron each month, or you can just get some church merch, represent Jesus on your body. And again, our online church is really cool. If you have not joined, join our online church on the Discord app. And I think that's all I have for you guys today. Very short, not too long. Just want to get you to have a greater desire and love for God's kingdom and to have that translate into your prayer life and the prayers you pray. And so thanks for watching. You guys keep moving towards Jesus. And I will see you guys um, Wednesday for our Q&A, Lord willing. And then next Monday, there will be no message uh, because I'll be out of town in California for my sister's wedding. All right. So all I got for you guys today, I'll see you guys Wednesday. Bring your questions about faith and prayer, and I'll do my best to answer those. All right. God bless you.